You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump. With me, as always, is Mike, the Cranky Fan, and we are at the tail end, 11.30 on Monday night, Martin Luther King Day, the tail end of Wild Card Weekend. What a weekend it was. How are you? Um, the best thing I can say is that we're back to a universe where I don't have to worry about a Philly, a Dallas, a Georgia, or a Florida State championship. So now it's house money for me for the rest of the playoffs. That's good news. A lot of things to rifle through. We're going to go through all of Wild Card Weekend, and then we're going to go through a little bit of Giants news. The Giants hired an offensive line coach from the Las Vegas Raiders, and we got seen some closure on the Wink Martindale uh, and New York Giants tenure. So lots to go through here. Let's start right with what just concluded. The Bucks absolutely demolishing the Philadelphia Eagles at home, 32-9. to um, We were just kind of talking about this, but we decided to jump right into this. This Philly collapse is something to be, you know, you know, said for. It feels like the bottom fell from underneath it, but, I, you know, we were kind of saying this. It feels like a bunch of little things that just started to stack up right from the beginning of the year. Um, I, I don't think they ever really looked great at any point this year. They looked very good to start this year, and it just never seemed to go up. It seemed to go down. You know, it, they seemed to falter. It, it, it seems to me as far back as October when you and Cranky and I were sitting at a bar in Buffalo watching the Jets take it to them to start the game. Uh, and then we're walking into the stadium, and there's like this shockwave among the people walking in that the Jets had just won because it had AFC East and NFC East implications for both mm-hmm. teams there. So uh, that seems to be the first point where there were serious cracks in that organization, and it all fell apart. It looks like, in my opinion, you know, moving around defensive coordinator duties was probably a bad thing for confidence. And if you take away beating the Giants on Christmas Day, a game in which they nearly had lost from themselves, none, not a single thing the Giants were doing right in that game, they would have lost something like seven straight games to close out the season. It's, it's, yeah. it's been a long time that this has been a problem. So, yeah, it's incredible. Um, but a lot of things. They, they also got hurt down the stretch. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I think fell into it. Yeah, and not only just changing for a defensive coordinator, but, you know, Matt Patricia, who is like the anti-Midas touch guy because everything he touches turns to shit. The shittest touch, yeah. Yeah, We've talked about the shittest touch way back on this show. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that unlucky pencil he has in his ear, just, you know, it did its magic spell again. So, you know, not not one person listening to this podcast and probably – most people around the country are not shedding any tears for this team. Um, I was texting with some friends during the game, and I figured, you know, is there any, you know, there's somebody was saying about, you know, there's so many people hate Dallas. And I'm like, is there a team in this league that has a higher percentage of people that hate them versus people that like them? I mean, Dallas has a lot of people that love them. A lot of people hate them too, but nobody likes Philly especially anybody who's not from a 50 mile radius of, you know, the Ben Franklin statue in, in city hall. And, uh, you know, they're just a team that has like, they had that swagger last couple of years. It just seemed phony. It just seemed like, you know, you know, every move that we've documented this several times on this show, like, you know, every move they seemed to make was as much as an, a, a, a wink to, you know, trolling the Giants as it was to actually improving their own team. And, you know, they're getting their comeuppance now, and nobody feels bad for them. Um, this is really one of the more shocking things I've seen in a season. You know, sometimes teams fall apart. Well, oh, you know, they lost their quarterback. They lost, you know, a, a complete rash of injuries that leaves you bare. But, you know, they've had injuries. You know, I, you know, 
I'd love to read the book. <laughs> what happened yeah, this season? But, but not more territory. than Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like they, they've right. had they've had injuries, but they are not the most decimated team in the league. I mean, of course. For yeah. for Christ's sake, they've been able to play Jalen Hurts just about every single game this year. It's something yeah. I can't even relate to. Yeah, they went down. They didn't go down to their third string quarterback. They didn't go down to a Tommy DeVito. Uh, you know, they've had you know injuries here and there, and you know, just. Uh, but a lot of it just seemed like the last couple of weeks, you know, the giant game last week and that buck game this week was that like a team had quit. And we lauded the giants for the second half of this year for not looking like they quit. That team just looked like they quit on, especially on defense. We, we saw, forget the pathetic tackling, just it looked to me like some of these games this weekend that were played in terrible weather conditions, how guys looked like they were running around on roller skates because they just were slow. And that's how the Eagles looked you know, today. And I think a lot of that was effort. So yeah, I'm calling them out. I, I think this team quit in addition to having the, the lack of confidence and the, you know, the, the, when you're a, when you're a bully and you get stood up to by some teams. So it'll be interesting to see. It's, you know, did you think before this season started that there's a very good chance that the, the longest tenured coach in this division would be Brian Dable? Not me. Uh, well, nothing's official yet. I said right. it's good, you know. It could be very possible. I didn't, I didn't predict. It. I didn't guarantee it, but it's a very good chance of it. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'm not really sure where the source of the Nick Sirianni rumors came from that started swirling, but they swirled so early in this, you know, in my opinion, anyway, so early in this Philly collapse that mm-hmm. I, I have to think that it's not nothing. You know what I mean? Like, that's a really outrageous leap to take without any sort of backing. So I, I really think that there's something to it. They've only gotten louder as the momentum has has completely dropped off. The, the train's totally off the rails and now into the ravine. Um, that makes me think it's so, you know, the, the issues are so deep-rooted that it's not a question of, you know, oh, I don't like this defensive coordinator. I mean – that that seemed like a guy, Sirianni, from the outside. That, you know, in the the mold of like a Jim Harbaugh or someone, where they can be a very good coach, but they're going to outstay their welcome pretty quickly. And that mm. might have been happened. He's got it. He's got that kind of personality. That guy you just want to punch in the face. And oh my god, you know, and maybe I, I, I someone want... like Lori might want to punch him in the face right now. Yeah, and I want to say that he hasn't been so punchable lately, so maybe they told him to knock it off or whatever, but it's not like he had anything to celebrate or be happy about. So, Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's certainly interesting. Uh, and you, you start to wonder, just a few years removed from su- winning a Super Bowl, they move on from Doug Peterson. You know, very quickly, potentially moving on from Nick Sirianni, is, is Howie Roseman, you, you know, I don't know. Or is Laurie... Becoming more like Jerry Jones. Moves like this seem like they're more owner influence than GM influenced. Right. I mean, I think GMs, you know, they try to take emotion out of it. They're more try to be more analytical, try to be more thinking about building a team over a one, three, five year period. And every GM will tell you that constantly getting onto that, you know, new coach every two years every three years is bad you know and uh again unless he's just a major dick who just kind of you know his ego got overly inflated from the success from last year and, and you know i i tend to think that this you know i, I have you know i have no inside sources but to me this kind of screams of owner getting embarrassed owner don't like it owner making you know making his move yeah, that's going to be something really interesting to watch in the coming weeks. Hopefully, as our our fires on uh, 1925 Giants Way or whatever <laughs> are being put out, we can watch those fires off in the, the distance. The only other thing I really want to talk about this game is a question for you, Grump. And I didn't ask you this before. Um, you know, I I have a lot of friends that are Buck fans. You know, being from Tampa Bay and everything. And uh, I was having a pretty good discussion in the fourth quarter about uh, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, he, he signed a one-year deal going into this season. And he's been all right. I mean, not great, not horrible, horrible. But, you know, 
they win next week and they beat they beat the Lions and they get to the NFC Championship game, you got to have to bring him back. And the question is, what what do you pay for a guy like Baker Mayfield? I mean, what what do you do if if you're the GM of the Bucks? I mean, what is is this a guy that you really want to kind of invest in for the next few years? And he's not going to come cheap. I mean, if is he a guy that would kind of command a contract, kind of like what Daniel Jones got, or you know, less, more, you know, and is he a guy that's worth it? I mean, you're asking me some questions I don't think I, I'll ever have the answers to, like what he's going to command. I, I don't know. But I, I can tell you that he's not going to come cheap. If there's one thing that I think that the entire NFL learned this year, it's the value of a quarterback. Um, I think that goes without saying. And he's proved his worth in that, you know, over the course of his career, he's proved that he can learn systems quickly. He can function in them. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a gamer. Uh, certainly someone who puts himself on the line and more than anything he's tough and dependable you know what I mean he's certainly pretty durable um, and I don't know if he's durable but he's dependable in that he's going to try to play through injury um, he's he's got a a win it mentality he wants to push the ball downfield I think that that makes it easy to scheme quick read offenses for him and things like that big strikes which kind of was this game like it's not like I think at a certain point the Bucks took over this game, but for most of the year I think the Bucks were kind of just a big strike offense. And like early on, Mike Evans was playing out of his mind. Mike Evans was on steroids or something this year. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's I'm like making a joke here. It's not a real accusation, but he was playing like he was five years younger for the first couple games. Pretty much the only reason it, the Bucks it, are even here. He was playing like a guy that bet on himself and play out his contract and see what happens in this off season is what he was playing like. Yeah. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield is someone that is applicable to a lot of different quarterback situations. So he has a strong marketability. Uh, and I think the whole league knows that. And I think that they all saw just how bad things can get. And I think we're also approaching an understanding that it's it's silly to expect players to play 17 games. I mean, yeah. we're, we're getting to the point where you have to expect that your quarterback might have to not play. You know, even if he's not so banged up that he can't play that it's in the best interest of your team to not force him to play I think that we might be transitioning towards that period of the NFL and I don't know what he's gonna he'll command something he'll he'll have his pick of the litter I think on the market I don't know how much I'm Tampa Bay how much I'm investing but they're certainly not going to be picking anywhere near getting a, a quarterback and he's probably going to be the best one on the market this year yeah yeah I agree um you know the Bucks, they certainly overachieved this year. I mean, I, I made two when I was in Vegas uh, Labor Day, and I made a couple of futures bets. And the one that I did pick uh, wrong was I had the Bucks winning under five and a half wins this year. I thought they'd be terrible. Uh, I just didn't like that roster. I didn't like that offensive line. I they had no running game, and I'm. Not a, I was just not a Baker Mayfield guy. I thought, I honestly thought that Kyle Trask was going to win the job coming out of training camp. And, you know, obviously I was wrong with that. And they overachieved. You know, it's, they're not a pretty team to watch, but um, it doesn't matter. The, the point is, we're going to divisional round series and they're playing. And it would not shock me the way their defense is playing if they could, you know, squeak out a win against Detroit either. Let's flip over to the Bills and Steelers. Bills win this game 31-17. Now, you, you kind of missed the beginning of this game, so let me give you uh, yeah. what, what I think I saw here. The Bills started this game, it looked like New Orleans after Katrina. Uh, where it, Do you know that where it just felt like the atmosphere, like it was so goddamn loud. There was snow being thrown in the air. Uh, the Bills were absolutely crushing them to come out the gates. I mean, Mason Rudolph looked totally lost to start this game. There was a point at which it really could have been 21 to nothing going into the half. And um, it was it just felt like nobody was going to come into that stadium and beat them today. Uh, and, and I don't want to say that that's wrong, but the Bills started going absolutely buck-wild gambling stuff. And Tony Romo uh, called it out on the broadcast like, ah, that was a really... It was a really gutsy call. Like right now, I, I'd be running the ball, running the clock down a little bit, pushing things forward. I, I, there's no reason to be taking that shot and second down. 
you know, and, and very quickly a blocked field goal came and, and the Steelers struck back. And it, this game felt like it was in this weird nebulous phase for an entire half of football where it felt like the game was already over and Buffalo won and the rest of the game was a formality. But there was a very real chance. Pittsburgh was only two scores away, like pretty much at all times throughout the second half. And there was a point in which I even texted you. It was like, why is Jim Nance acting like it's absolutely laughable that the Steelers could tie this up right now? I mean, I don't think it's likely, but there's two minutes and it's only two scores. I mean, it's one broken tackle for a touchdown and then an onside kick. And then we have a serious nail-biter moment for another minute. There was a lot of that this weekend where the score wasn't really indicative of, you know, the likelihood of the team that was losing coming back. I know we, as we did our, you know, the, the little prep that we do for this show, we were kind of talking and I was just like, a lot of these games, it never felt like the outcomes were in doubt. And you kind of were like exasperated, like, like, what are you talking about? And this was one of those games. Like, I know it was only a two score game, but I just never really felt ever that Pittsburgh was going to actually make up the ground. It doesn't matter what you felt, though, because it really was that. Like, they, they had the ball on the plus side of the field. Right. Um, this one, I, my point is that Jim Nance was quite literally laughing at the idea as if a broken tackle can't just happen. You know what I mean? Which, which is interesting to me because you know, I am always a little bit of a conspiracy theorist with broadcasts where they like to push narratives. And, you know, if this would have been... If this would have been ESPN, it would, you know, in their best interest to have the Steeler fans still interested in stuff, I you you'd not have had like that laughable thing about it. I I, I think so. Um, I guess a good job by him by kind of being like that, but I, I never got the sense that they're that we were seriously going to come back to this, and maybe that's just me. No, I I didn't either, but it's not the point. It's that it was for. This is the only game of the blowout games where it actually was possible. This was a two-score game. I mean, the Cowboys game we're going to talk about. No, I'm sorry. The Rams-Lions game was another one, but we'll get there. But, you know, for the big ones, Texans-Brown, that game was over before halftime. Chiefs-Dolphins, I didn't really see that one. Didn't look like the Dolphins ever got any rhythm. We'll get to that. Packers-Cowboys, Cowboys Cowboys were never in that. That score made up, and they're still more than two scores away. I mean, they're two scores with two two two-point conversions away from tying it. That's a pet peeve of mine. And I said it during this game, too. If you're down 16, I get it. It's technically a two-score game, but... Barely. That's a four-score game. Yeah, you gotta, really. you got to score basically four touchdowns. So, stop. It's, yeah, so... Uh, yeah. This game, I would say... It, I never felt like the Bills were going to lose this game, but it didn't, fe- it didn't feel like the Steelers were going to win it. It did feel like if at any po- point, though, like, Buffalo could lose it. It had... Mm. The, the way that this game started versus how Pittsburgh hung around in this game was just Buffalo's, you know, just cocky mistakes, it felt like. Um, but, but no, it, did, it didn't really feel like Pittsburgh was going to win this game. I did, I did have that feeling of Josh Allen's going to have the stupid turnover at any point in this game. Like, yes. And I said it to my friend as we were watching it. It's just like, you know it's coming, right? You know the, the, the silly, uh, you know, the silly throw or the trying to get extra yards and it's going to cause a fumble. You know this is coming. So, you know, the only way that I thought Pittsburgh would really have a chance would be if they, you know, self-impose something. Yes, if Buffalo lost. And and not for nothing, but Buffalo continues to rack up injuries throughout the playoffs Mm -hmm. here. So, I mean, that's another factor in there. Yes. Um, Lions-Rams. This was the best game of the weekend, I think. This was so much fun. Um, hot start for the Lions, and then they were absolutely useless in the second half. They scored nothing but a 54-plus yard field goal in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, the Rams just struggled to punch it in. They were right there every step of the way, and they couldn't they couldn't score touchdowns. This was just a really, really good, entertaining game to watch. Yeah, and, you know, having it in Detroit where, you know, it made it more fun too. It was just like a, you could tell you could tell on the TV the energy in that stadium and the excitement and all that. And you know, they're they're two they're two pretty close teams. Um, you know, you have quarterbacks who you know who are I think are exciting to watch. And you know, you have you know uh, you know the Rams have always been you know exciting for the last you know few years the way they do things. And uh, 
this is what I expected. This is what you hope for in a, in in playoff games. And Detroit won. Good, you know, good good on them. Yeah, this this was just such a cool game. Uh, of all the you know feel bad for bad luck franchises, I think Detroit is the easiest one to root for. You know, personally, I kind of I've kind of have it in my heart right now to root for Detroit through the west the rest of these uh, playoffs right now. Yeah, I agree. You know, now that all the the, the major rivals are gone, and uh, you're right, D- Detroit never wallows in their misery. They just kind of like, okay, you know, well, we'll we're gonna give it our shot next year. You know, I, I think some teams that have like the loser mentality, like the Clevelands of the world and the Jets, and it's almost like they become cartoon characters where like they wear it as a badge of honor. And I don't ever feel like Lion fan feels like that way. I feel like they're just like waiting for their shot. We'll get there at some point. At some point, a quarterback's going to hit. At some point, we're going to have a good coach. At some point, yeah. Um, and you know, so I, that, I think that guy all... playing his birthday for the lottery numbers every single week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Packers Cowboys. This was probably the most enjoyable game of the week. Um, this game was not close, even a little bit, and yet I watched every minute as if. It was uh, Scorsese. It was. It might, it might have actually been Scorsese. Go ahead, tell me about it. About it. as long as the Scorsese movie. That's for sure. <laughs> um, answer something, Grump. More enjoyable for you, uh, the Dallas loss or the Philly loss? You know, I'm gonna say the Dallas loss because I really didn't see it coming. Um, the the Eagles won, like, they've been faltering for so long. You know, the only thing was that, like, man, if it weren't the Bucks, like, you know, in, in my head it was like, the Eagles are so terrible. The, if they win this weekend, it's just because they played the worst team in the playoffs. Um, they're not I, they're not going far. But Dallas, you know, I keep looking at that defense, and quite frankly, I don't know what, what happened to the defense in this game. Jordan Love absolutely carved them up. Um I- I really thought that Dallas could make some noise this year. Now, I, oof, wow, that was bad. I, you know, watching Green Bay on Thanksgiving and the way they carved up, you know, the same Lions team we were just, you know, you know, glowing about, and then seeing in person what we did to them on that Monday night game, it's like, what team is this? So I, the Dallas thing, it's kind of like it was so cliche to say, well, they'll choke in the first round and, you know, Dak will choke and it actually happening. (laughs) And then uh, obviously nobody could have expected what they did on defense. That defense looked as bad as as Philly did, Um, you know, and we're all kind of crowning, you know, Dan Quinn, you know. We're making the jokes, well, you know, when they fire McCarthy, would Dan Quinn possibly take over? Or what job is he going to have as a head coach? And I don't think one game makes that much of a difference for his future. Um, but just unexpected but shocking is how I put the Dallas game. And But for more in, enjoyable, I definitely think that Eagle one is because just seeing those shots of the, the owner just sitting there with that puss on his face and, you know, and just those douchebag fans it, that to me was more enjoyable it's close um sure but i think after the dallas collapse i kind of almost felt like the philly one was inevitable uh it just felt like all of a sudden i don't know it, i i when i sat down to eat it was like i'm ready to watch philly lose like with confidence <laughs> i don't know i can't really describe it to you there's well, no reason say, to um i will say one thing um I made one bet this weekend, and I made that bet last Sunday evening. When I saw that Philly was still a three-point favorite after what I just saw at that giant game, with all seeing Jalen Hurts' finger at a 90-degree angle, you know, knowing AJ Brown was probably out, knowing all the other injuries, knowing how they've been like a turd in the in, in the toilet bowl for the last month, and they saw that they were still favored. I was like. And I'm taking I'm taking Bucks money line on this right now because not only are they going to get points, they're going to win this thing outright. And uh, I was rewarded with it by that. So I was, I was that made me happy. Um, yeah, so that one was a little bit more predictable. 
the only thing I can come away with with the Dallas game, honestly, is that they just looked unprepared to play. Mm-hmm. This one looked like they came into this game on the ceremonial floats. They were ready to ride out of the stadium after a victory. Uh, I, I, and I that's that's the best explanation I can get. It's not a very scientific one. It's not a football one. But it, I don't guess. I don't have an explanation for what I saw out there. Micah Parsons was useless. I, I mean, yeah. like, it, and and I, I don't think very highly of Jordan Love. I think he's fine. I I think he's a quarterback that could punish you if you let him. Clearly, uh, let I, yeah. It just looked like they let him. And Micah Parsons was getting the benefit of finally getting holding calls against him too. So like he was actually getting some up, you know, with more advantages. And you're right, he was he was useless. Uh, I don't understand how in this day and age, when you're you know, especially a team like the Cowboys, when you know the pressure of the world is on you and the expectations in the 30 years that you can come off and look so unprepared and so flat. I, I you know, it's very easy to say that's Mike McCarthy's fault, but that also when you're that unmotivated looking and unprepared looking you also look into that locker room too and be like well i was gonna say like dak prescott's been here for these failures these other guys have been here for these failures like it's not i know the coaches cycle out and that you know you and i have been here as fans to see it go on and on but you know we're going on several years dak prescott has been the quarterback of this team he has been you know i I don't want to say the reason, but he's certainly experienced uh, probably at least blaming himself for some of this stuff. Like, you'd think that he would be getting the offense prepared if not the coach, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you – does this, in your opinion, make – would it make any difference for you as far as, you know, any thoughts of bringing him back and re-sign? Because last night, you know, obviously the McCarthy stuff was like, well, he's going to be fired. And there's a lot of, well, they're bringing Dak back now after this. And, you know, I think that's a little over the top. I mean, do you do you bring in quarterbacks just because even though they might fail in the playoffs, you, know, you have to get to the playoffs. I'm a big, you got to get there first person. And there is a lack of really good quarterbacks in this league. But do you think that? Failures in the playoffs like this are a real barometer of gauging if you're going to reinvest in a guy, or you think it's just it's one game and it just happens to be he plays bad in these games. History says that it doesn't matter to Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so you know, I don't know where anyone can come away with saying like, "Well, there's no way that Dak is back." Like, why not? Tony yeah. Romo was there for forever. He never won. He he won less playoff games than Dak, didn't he? Didn't Dak win at least one? Yeah, yeah, he won one three years ago. Yeah, two years ago. Yeah, I, I don't think Tony yeah. Romo won any. No, and Tony Romo, remember he, he had the thing with the uh, the extra the field goal where he botched the hold. I mean, it was yeah even worse than just <laughs> than that. Um, I I mean, come on, let's be serious. What they're in no position to get anything and jerry jones may be flippant he may be you know whatever but he's pretty protective of that quarterback spot i think he knows how important being quarterback of the dallas cowboys is to the image of the dallas cowboys Uh, and and, you know if he's going to give it to just anybody then it doesn't mean as much as he wants it to mean so no i don't think that you know what i mean maybe they move on from him but they, they have they'll be very serious and cautious about how they do it well, the replacement cost in this league, you know, to bring in a quarterback, and they're not going to be drafting, they're not going to be in the position to draft anybody, and, you know, the cost to bring in someone really good is very expensive in this league, too, and and also, we did, we did a little exercise, too, we were talking about, it's not just the, the quarterbacks that Jerry Jones kind of protects, coaches as well. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking, oh, he recycles through these guys after two years and stuff, we did an exercise looking back, really, from the post Jimmy Johnson era and almost every coach lasted four years before he finally smoked him, which is not, that's not a, a, a quick trigger. I mean, shit, the giants are worse than that lately. So, you know, but yeah. this, is, this is McCarthy's fourth year and you know, they to be fair though, when we were going back in time, we went way back to the nineties and we were saying four years, which was a quick trigger back then, but he's been consistent with it, which mm-hmm. kind of, Makes it feel balanced out over time. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
that's another one that's going to be really interesting to watch. It looks like the, the I don't even know if there are going to be coaching moves there. I mean, there, there probably will be, but I don't know. Other than Jerry Jones saying that this is... He said something that was, like, not even in English after the game. The most <laughs> well, yeah, surprises or something. Johnny Walkers, and, you know, <laughs> you're not going to really speak very coherent. My crystal ball says that McCarthy is out and Sirianni's back. That's my personal prediction. I agree. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch the Chiefs-Dolphins game. I, uh, I cold boycotted. Um in that, you know, I just wasn't going to put in any extra effort. I didn't organize a boycott or, or bitch about it, but uh, sorry. I'm not putting in any extra effort in to watch your game. So tell me, tell me all about it. It looked boring. It looked boring. It was boring. It's one of those, you know, Miami to a lesser degree is the Eagles, how they've kind of collapsed this year. I mean, more injuries also. But, you know, it sounds cool to say, oh, it's minus four degrees, it's the tundra and all that, but unfortunately, it just doesn't make for good football. And that was this was a game that just you just watch and you see these guys look like they're all on roller skates. And we're in the playoffs. You want to see the best teams play. You want good football. You want, you know, if you don't care who wins or loses, you just want to see teams at their best. You like you don't want to see guys get hurt and you know a backup has to play and this is what this felt like. It just felt like it was so it was so cold and just looked so awful that you know these teams weren't playing at their best and um you know Miami, you know again if we if the season ended in mid October, we might be having a Miami Eagles Super Bowl, but we play 17 games and that's that's kind of it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I kind of skimmed through the uh, highlights there. Uh, yeah. It just looked like the Dolphins never really got any rhythm. Like they, there'd no. be some chunk plays, and then it was just outside of field goal range, or they would screw something up and get sacked, and they'd be out of field goal range. And so the, they were just perpetually stuck at this, you know, seven point thing. And at the same time, it's not like the Chiefs were doing anything great. It, it, the, it the, like, the coolest thing is that Pacheco looked like he was running like an animal. That was probably the coolest thing. Um, what is that Olympics sport? The hammer throw? You're throwing that big thing, kind of like ugh. that's what it looked like when two was kind of throwing, like he was throwing a hammer. Just you know, the weather and I maybe the conditions or something, but it just looked it looked natural. It looked like it was it was a struggle and a grind. Yeah. Um. And then the first game of the Wild Card weekend, Texans Browns. This one was an absolute beatdown. Um, 45-14. This game was over before halftime. And um, C.J. Stroud and Nico Collins were absolutely excellent in this game. The defense completely overmatched Joe Flacco. Um, And then this game, the second half of the game, really was a formality. I mean, I I don't think Cleveland even moved into plus territory, I think, by like the fourth quarter. I um, today I went to the Nick game with a friend of mine, and we went to the bar after watching the second half of the um, of the uh, the Buffalo game. And he is a Carolina Panther fan. And uh, <laughs> seeing C.J. Stroud and seeing the fact they don't have a draft pick and all this stuff makes him very very angry. I can so, imagine. Yeah, we didn't talk much about the Panthers. I mean, look. It, you can get mad about that, but there's also no head coach there. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in that organization. So sure, sure, sure. And uh, and I the one thing I did say to him is you don't give up on a quarterback after year one. You know. So so you thought that this was not an exciting weekend because these games were not at any point close, and it was always pretty easy to tell. But you don't think that it's exciting that. C.J. Stroud absolutely overwhelmed Cleveland. You don't think that that was amazing? I mean, we went through this predictions. It was kind of hard to tell who was going to win that game. The I think Packers. It's I think it's impressive. I don't think it's exciting necessarily. Ah, man, you're you're no fun. You, 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 <laughs> how, I, I mean, if I, if I don't, if it's the you know the AFC, the fact that there is a blowout when you don't expect a blowout should be like there's no like wow factor for you. You're like wow, this is incredible, and you can you can keep watching like geez, look at it. But you don't get any entertainment out of that. Saying it's impressive implies no entertainment. Like ah, yeah, that's impressive. 
No, like, like no. It means I mean, it was impressive when it, at first when it happened, but you know, the biggest, the most exciting thing about sports is like what's going to happen at the end. Like, how is this going to, how is this going to turn out? I don't know how this is going to end up. No, that to I, me is the most exciting thing. Oh man, I I think That's that it. you have you have. This is my my thought here is that you have a bias against not giving a shit about the AFC because was the Packers Cowboys game exciting for you? Um, it was exciting that Dallas was getting their asses kicked, but it was not an exciting game. I mean, the game was over. It was, yeah. it was over pretty early. That yeah. doesn't make it an exciting game. It makes it no, it doesn't. But it's still entertaining. It's still exciting to watch because you don't know. It's, enter- it's entertaining for me to watch my rivals get their asses kicked. I am a masochist. I hate those teams and. To me, I can sit there with a, gla- a bottle of brandy and, and my cigar in my smoking jacket. Like, this is fantastic, but exciting. I also think that storylines make things fun. The the fact that the ca- the Packers were not supposed to go in there and do that makes it, it because you know, I, I don't sure think- it's out of reach. But I do want to continue to see shots of the sideline. I want to see Jerry Jones up in the thing. It makes it fun. It makes it. I mean, there's different emotion. I mean, exciting is not the emotion I use for that. I think you know. It's still entertaining. I'm still engaged. I didn't turn any. I didn't turn one of these games. Exactly off. my point. See, to me, like not entertaining. Like I almost turned off the Texans Browns game. Like it got to a point where I was like, wow, they're they're getting ready. They put Davis Mills in there at one point. I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. that that I, that I left the room. Like that game, fine. That one really, I, truly got out of hand. But the rest of them, I, I didn't turn any of them off. I mean, they, I guess, they're great. You know, for me, I, my personality as I'm getting older is kind of like I can just watch a game and not have to have a rooting interest necessarily. And I can just kind of – not that I'm a reporter like, you know, no cheering in the press box type of person. But, like, that's why, like, sports gambling for me never really stuck as, like, I need some juice in this game to get me interested. Like, these games are interested to me because, you know, we are now, we're now into the serious part of the season where I've been, you know, obviously as a Giant fan and doing this show, I have a very vested interest in the Giants and what happens, but I'm also very vested in the league. And now it's, we're coming to the conclusion now. And I want to see how this is all finally playing out. So that is all my kind of my interest. Like, Sports are great when you have an interest in something and it means something. The second something doesn't mean anything, and this is something for me as I'm getting older, I stop – I don't care nearly as much anymore. And for me, the the overarching story of we're coming to the – we're now in sudden death. We're now getting to who's going to be the champion. That's enough for me to be engaged. Whether it's you know ultimately exciting or not, it, the game itself still has to be exciting for me to be like, that's exciting. But were any of these games really going to be memorable for me in two, four, five years from now? Other than, oh, when Dallas got their asses kicked or the Eagles got their asses kicked? No. I will remember the Bills game for the snow and for the way that they played to start the game, and I'll remember that Lions-Rams game. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Lions-Rams game was like, that's a good game. wasn't... It's not going to be an all-time remembrance for me. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, oh, this, you know, this is the ninth anniversary of that game. Or, I'll, I'll, I don't refer to it as the X game. You know, like certain pleasure in playoff games are, you know, the fumble or the drive or the, you know, the helmet catch or the, the, the whatever. I mean, these are just. It was, just, it was a solid game. It was a, it was a fun game. I don't know how, you know, it's going to go down in my memory banks as being particularly memorable other than oh yeah that game that's fine i mean it's well i mean if if your only memory of games are moments that have nicknames then yeah i guess this game would fall short of that yeah yeah but you know it's still a it did its job from a entertainment standpoint for sure you know that was three hours of you know i'm not sure who's gonna win this thing and all right, no. you curmudgeon. Since you want to fast forward to the end of the story, let's go through it then. Ravens ha- are hosting the Texans. How do you feel? <laughs> that Ravens team is tough, man. I mean, it. CJ Stroud's a great story. You know, good for them, but Ravens are tough. I think Ravens win. I think they they win a kind of convincing. I think CJ Stroud. I think the. The midnight and the, you know, whatever Cinderella 
you know, uh, analogy you want to use happens in this game, I think. Are the Ravens going all the way for you or no? Give me. We're, think, we're going to give I, our I, AFC and NFC picks here. Yeah, I, 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 I think they're going to the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, I think the Ravens win this game, but I do think that I, I have this weird feeling that like coming out of halftime, suddenly this is a game again, or or something like that. Um, I don't I don't think that they. I think that the Ravens pull away right early, but it gets close again. Um, and, I, and I think also that the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl. I think that they're the healthiest AFC team that looks the most impressive. They are the complete package. It would take – I mean, like, honestly, this does have trap game written all over it. This could be the riding high confidence collapse. I just – I haven't seen anything from Baltimore this year that suggests that. I also um, think that John Harbaugh – I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for being a really good coach. I mean, I think – I agree. People know he's a good coach, but I think if you say, who are the top three coaches in the NFL? I don't know how many people have him on there, and he definitely should get some consideration for it. Yeah. Uh, always well-prepared. And for what it's worth, you know, everyone talks about how he's a special teams coordinator. He always brings in good coordinators to run his team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good coordinators always come out of there. So, Yeah. Uh, Chiefs are hosting the Bills. I'm going to call an upset here. I think Buffalo's going to win. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree. I, I think I think Buffalo is riding high and just – I don't know how much longer that they can keep slugging forward all battered and beaten the way they are. But I don't think Kansas City looks fantastic this year at all. I don't, I don't think so either. Um, you don't think playing at home means anything for this game? I think weather is a bigger deal than potentially than you know the home crowd advantage and everything. And Kansas City played in worse conditions than Buffalo did probably. So I, I I think that kind of is a big offset. And I think a team like Kansas City, you know, they have played in a lot of big games in the last you know four or five years. And uh, I don't think it's as big of a deal. I think if it's like a team like Houston going in, I think it's a much much bigger deal than them. 49ers and Packers. Uh, I don't think this game is even close. I think San Francisco comes out and doesn't stop. I think they're going to roll right to the Super Bowl also. Yeah, I agree. Um, are you? Is there anything that you think might get in their way that might trip them up? I mean, obviously the normal stuff like if Brock Purdy gets hurt, but I mean there's nothing that even comes to mind for me. I think if any team they play can get a consistent pass rush and, and put Brock Purdy on his heels a little bit, that's a possibility. But uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Lions and Bucks. I think that the Baker Mayfield magic kind of ends now. Uh, I know you're going to pull. You're going to call an upset right now. I can see it on your face. Um, I don't like Jared Goff. Uh, I think I even texted you during the game. He looks like the least athletic athlete sometimes, man. Uh, watch mm-hmm. him like try to escape pressure where he had a head start and he just looks like he's running in cement and quicksand at the same time and still <laughs> managed to get tripped up. I couldn't believe it. But at the same time, I just – I don't know. I, I don't know. I think the Detroit team just looks too complete for the Bucks right now. And I, I really am rooting for them to move forward. Um, so I'm going to go Detroit. I'm going Detroit also, and I think they're going to go comfortably. Um, the bottom line is in the playoffs, you have to score and score consistently. And I think the Bucks took advantage of a, a, a banged-up Philly team that quit. And who knows what else is going on? If you you know we rewind back to the beginning of this episode for all we talked about that. I just you know one game to me doesn't let me ignore the previous seven or eight games. And this that Bucks team has had trouble scoring and getting out of its own way quite a bit. Um, I can't ignore what I saw in week seventeen and sixteen. Uh, I am not a Baker Mayfield believer. I think he's 
I think he's an average quarterback who's healthy. And I think that goes a long way in this league. Um, it'll be a different story. I think he also, you know, the, the cliche is like Josh Allen. Oh, you know, he's good for one or two, you know, dumb plays and, and bad turnovers a game. But I feel like Baker's kind of like that too. I think sometimes he just has one or two really stupid throws a quarter. And we saw it even tonight. And when you're playing, that place is going to be an absolute madhouse, um, you know, in, in Detroit. And I think that's going to impact them. And I think, I, I think Detroit wins uh, double digits at least. Um, I, I really want to see Detroit make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, but I'm going to, I'm going to pull for the, uh, the poor people from up north there. They can't seem to get anything. Um, but in Giants news, we're going to rifle through two two little pieces of news really quickly because they're honestly, I, in my opinion, not too much to talk about right now. Uh, but it is big news. The Giants hired an offensive line coach, Carmen Brasello. He's the Raiders offensive line coach. That is super important. You know, We had Anthony on the show last, and we asked him that the, the point blank question was what is the most important thing for this off season for you? And he said, it's the offensive line coach. So I texted him immediately. I was like, well, your, your dream came true. We made that upgrade. How'd we do? You know what I mean? And, and honestly, it's just too hard to tell. You look at an offensive line coach and if they don't have this proven track record, this is kind of what Bobby Skinner said too. Is that like, if he, if he's not a name, it's really hard to tell. If he doesn't have a proven track record of going from place to place and fixing things up, it's just there's too much to wade through with what's up to the offensive coordinator, what's up to the head coach, you know, what's based on personnel. You know, the offensive line coach develops talent. And so really you have to be at a place for a long enough time to say, you know, I watched this this guy who was a mid-round pick you know, all these guys are mid-round picks. They all consistently got better, which is something that I can certainly do with him. He's been in Vegas for three years. Again, it's really difficult to tell uh, a lot of the nuances, but you can kind of see some development there. But I simply haven't had the time to go through all that. So right now it's just to say none of the guys on that line are big-time names that came with big-time pedigree, and yet that line has been pretty okay uh, the whole time this whole season so that certainly speaks to him right michelangelo worked best with granite and not limestone and i think with with a coach a lot of it is what are you working with and can you maximize your beginning i don't i don't think offensive line coaches can turn water into wine and take you know bad talent and all of a sudden make them a really good offensive line but i think good offensive line coaches take talent and make them a cohesive unit, you know. Um, and now we're just going to have to see. I, I think the building blocks are there on this roster still. I and mean, we know we have an all-pro at left tackle. We have two prospects at center at right tackle for, you know, whatever steps they took backwards this year and this year and last year. They come to the table with talent. You know, we're talking about a right tackle that was the best lineman in um in the sec and we're talking about a center that was pretty much universally you know the best center in that draft and we're only a year or two out from when they were in college and i think you know we complained about coaching we complained about you know the lack of development with these guys we complained about how these you know this these offensive line couldn't do things like adjust to simple things like stunts and you know, this is the opportunity to get better. So, you know, I think I think I think we'll see results immediately if you know if he's a really good coach and it works out well that you will see technique things instantly cleaned up and stuff. Whether that makes him a much better offensive line is to be determined. But I think we'll be able to see right away. Hey, it looks like uh, JMS's footwork is better, or. You know, is is Evan Neal's leverage better than it was before? Is he moving better? Uh, you know, and that I think we'll be able to see pretty quickly after, you know, an offseason in a training camp. So that's what I'm hoping to see. And look, I'm going to 
I think I think a lot of this comes down to everybody overthinking and just like the world we live in in the mm-hmm. the nonstop twenty four hour a day three hundred and sixty five day conversation that is Twitter. I mean that really is what Twitter is. It's just a conversation sure. that never stops. Mm-hmm. Um, we overthink some things, and I think that. The main thing to take away is that the Giants identified that they are not developing O-line talent. They fired the coach, and they went out and they got a guy that develops O-line talent. That already, you know, whether he's good at it, mediocre at it, I don't think he's going to be bad at it. That was like a main focus in this hire. So the fact that even if he's just mediocre at it, the amount of investment that they put into this offensive line with, you know, three high picks... You know, and and not only just three high picks, but just multiple, you know, free agent and. Uh, we spent money and, on yeah, other guys. Too, we spent yeah. we spent money on other guys. We made trades for other guys, and uh, you know, we spent mid round picks on other guys, which is not nothing. Uh, th- there is a significant focus here, and it seems like the missing piece over the years was an O line coach to teach them. Um, so, I, I think it can only go up from where we had it. I think that's kind of my baseline is I'm happy enough with that just by the fact that they understood what the problem was and they addressed it. I don't think it's going to get worse. And I think after two years is a good time to make these assessments and these changes. I think sometimes, you know, after one year, well, this isn't working out. We're moving on. You know, you are as a new head coach and a coaching staff, you are dealt a hand of talent, probably not very good talent because otherwise you wouldn't be the head coach most likely you you know the other coach would still be there but still you are dealt you have to assess after a year what your talent is and also start cycling in guys who fit what you're trying to do you may have several round pegs to get in the square holes so i think after 2 years you know you have a your roster is in a much better place for what you're trying to do and then you can kind of say well you know May not be the talent we have on the field. It might be, you know, what we have, you know, coaching, scheme, development, all those things. So I think, you know, it's okay after two years to start making these changes. I mean, these are things that we've all been, we've been crying for, and you know, the the two biggest things that we thought have been addressed between that and special teams. So now it's up to you know the new coaches and you know continually improving the talent to to gel and be better. Last thing, the Giants and Wake Martindale mutually decided to part ways officially. Um, we had reported on a resignation because uh, that's what we were told, and then it never actually happened, and then he went to Sarasota. Uh, but basically, they kind of shook hands and said, you can go work wherever you want, but we're not paying you $3 million next year. Um, and to me... This is frustrating because I don't really care from like a pettiness standpoint of who's right, who's wrong, who's the bigger baby. But the Giants had the morally superior position in that, that, you know, they had, I think they had the will of the people behind them after the article came out. I think, you know, calculated move, but nevertheless was the scenario. And you kind of had this guy backed into a corner and you can do anything you want here. You know, you can you can go as far as to say if you're not going to report to work, then we will just hire an assistant defensive coordinator and he'll run the defense and you can sit at home. I don't care. You know, what I mean, that only hurts him and his ability to get a job in the future. Um they had all of the leverage here and what they ended up doing is they just walked away and let him have basically what he wanted, which was freedom. He wanted to get fired from this job so that he could work wherever he wanted. I think that the $3 million check was a bonus in his mind. I think that he thought, you know, 10 weeks ago or whenever this started, if he could get fired, then, yeah, he's going to get that check. But after he, you know, I I think after three weeks, you see the long game is being played by the Giants. You know that that check is a pipe dream. Then, really, all he wanted was to be free. And you let this guy act like an asshole – uh, and, and essentially somewhat sabotage things. I mean, kind of did everything he could to divide the locker room in a sense, uh, short of you know instructing his players one way or another. Um, and then you just let him walk away. And here we might be dealing with the fact that he is 
the defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Perhaps he's the head coach of Dallas next year. We don't know any of this stuff. Um, and we just let him walk away because I don't know why. Um, they just want to be done with it. And I think that's just the giant style of just we just want to be done with it. We paid, we paid potentially with him being a, a, a coach on a rival or a competitor. That's our cost for saying enough. We don't want to deal with this anymore. We, we, we want to move forward. Uh, you know, we don't want to be constantly asked, you know, it just, it's over and we're done with it. Um, a couple of things that I, you know, about this, it's like, yeah, we got other than saving the money, you know, he's free to go everywhere, but I've really been thinking about what is his market marketability at this point. You know, this is job number two, where it's ended this way, you know, in theory, the wink defense is really good. It's really aggressive and it's really modern, but you know, also the giants defense was okay this year. Nothing you know, the numbers make it. The numbers probably paint a worse story than what the, the perception of our defense was this year. So, uh, you know, he, as much as we liked him, we liked the defense and what he was trying to do. He, he's not buddy Ryan. And he's also a guy who doesn't, have a long shelf life for other places. So if he goes to Philly next year, how long is he really going to be at Philly? I mean, is he going to be there? Is he going to wear out his welcome after two years? Is he going to stay there for three? You know, if he becomes a head coach, he's a head coach. I mean, he probably would become a head coach even if none of this nonsense happened anyway. Um, I, I don't think that if you're in the, in the market for Wink Martindale, the head coach, you know, I don't think any of this is really bothering you. I, I think it would have happened anyway. So, my only thing is that we've never seen Wink Martindale as head coach. We don't know, so we can say how long is he going to last there. But that also could be the famous last words of the Boston Red Sox trading away Babe Ruth. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe Philadelphia hires him as head coach, and for the next 25 years, he reigns supreme in the NFC East, and there's a statue of him outside next no, to no, no, Rocky. Wait, wait, wait a minute. My, my point about, we, you know, let him go to, like, how long is he going to be? That was if he went to become a defensive coordinator, not as a head coach. They're two, di- two different things. If, if he becomes a head coach, you're right. We don't know. And, you know, he might become a really good head coach, and but he would have been—he probably would have become a head coach anyway if none of the drama and none of the nonsense happened. I mean, he probably—if if, let's say things were fine, and you know, I'm sure he would have gotten an interview. There's eight openings for head coaches this year. I am pretty positive he would have got at least one interview somewhere, and maybe would have taken it. Um, my point was if he, you know, goes to become the Philly defensive coordinator or the Dallas defensive coordinator or wherever, you know? Well, I mean, here, here's the thing. Let's be honest. He called New York a destination. He had a relationship with John Mara. He interviewed here to be a head coach. Everywhere he's ever interviewed to be a head coach, he has been denied. He's even been quoted as saying that, you know, you get yourself a young offensive-minded guy and he becomes a head coach. That seems to be the way things are around here. Don't you think... That at this point he realizes his only shot at being a head coach is to have a good relationship somewhere and be a good defensive coordinator and then earn the job when the head coach leaves. I'm not conspiracy theorying that he forced he was forcing a Dable or me thing or anything like that, but I do think that he realizes that that's his best shot to become a head coach is for things to fall apart around him, let him become an interim head coach, and then earn that job at that place. Uh, well, the one thing is, I don't care what he says, you know, what, what guy is it going to say this is a destination or this is my dream job? My my point is I was trying to stack multiple things there, but I agree. I I don't, I don't listen to what people say really. Yeah. I don't care what people say. That's all in the moment. And you know, you're, you're trying to build a rapport. And so, so I don't care about that. Um, possible, but just because he might think that might be the best way, doesn't mean, he can't help himself by acting contrary to what he believes. I mean, people go into marriages all the time saying, I'm going to be faithful. This is the one, the woman for the rest of my life. And then half marriages and in divorce or they cheat or something. So what the brain thinks and what the heart does are two different things. And maybe he's just, you know, 
you know, he decided that he that well, I'll wait till things happen around me, and he just kind of got impatient, and I'm like, well, I'm going to speed that timeline up myself by being subversive. We don't know. I don't know what his, you know, his psyche is or something, and uh, you might be very right about that, but, you know, I I don't know. Do you think this episode has hurt him around the league by becoming another defensive coordinator, or do you think it's hurt him becoming a head coach, or do you think it doesn't matter? I think it's too early to tell. I, I think that details are continuing to spill out to you and me, but mm-hmm. I think that uh, this the story of what happened here, I think is already known around league sources, right? I believe I one hundred percent believe that. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like you know, guys in the industry talk, especially mm-hmm. guys who are looking for jobs. We've heard rumors that um, you know people were told like, "Don't come here." Uh, so I think it remains to be seen. You know, we, we got the Paul Schwartz article. We got the Pat Leonard article. And I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to – we're not going to get the story on a day. You know, it's going to drip and drab out and we're going to have to look at all the facts to really mm-hmm. say whether or not it hurt him or not. I think that there's a chance that there are places that are like, wow, that really was an impossible situation that you were in. I understand. It's possible. Yep. The, the, the headset thing in that article, I don't want to get into the whole thing about the article, but the headset thing in the article, that's a pretty bad look. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, again. Uh, well, what do you think? Do you think that he hurt himself or do you help, help himself? What do you think? I think you know. I think you are what you are, and I think everybody knows who these guys are. I, I I think that you know he got a job with the Giants pretty quickly after the Baltimore gig, knowing you know again we never know the story what happened over there either, but I think talent always trumps all this other stuff. If you are, you know, if you could throw a fastball 100 miles an hour, it doesn't matter if you know you committed crimes or are just a complete asshole if you can do something that not many people can do you they're overlook it and you will get the job and i think for someone like him you know who is i believe a very good defensive coordinator um i think a lot of that stuff will be oh because everybody thinks and remember we're talking about an ego league and ego positions head coach that won't happen with me I'm in charge. I'll show him. I will keep him in line. Everybody thinks they can do that. And the numbers that can are probably low. But at the end of the day, coaches, owners, GMs, they just want to win. And they think, give me the best guy to do this to increase my chances of winning and being successful. And I'll put up with the nonsense. I can deal with it. So I I don't think it's going to make much of a difference for him. Um, I think him getting out and trying to get his story out there early, try, probably, you know, some people, he already has some people in his camp. They're like, this wasn't all your fault. You know, just, it just takes one person to, you know, one general manager, one head coach to be like, well, I don't really believe much of, of that story. And then he's got a job. So I, I, I think, I think he'll be a defensive coordinator again. I don't think he's going to be a head coach. I think somebody will hire him. And I think in, you know, two plus years, he'll be looking for another job again. Could you see him being a head coach at like Western Kentucky? He was, he was the defensive coordinator there. I didn't, I didn't pull that out of nowhere. How old is he? 60. He is well liked by the player. I think he can relate to players. That's why I asked. A 60-year-old who all of a sudden has to go on the recruiting trail and doing all that stuff, that's a, that's kind of a young man's game. So I would say no. Okay. That's going to do it for this episode. We will be back next week uh, unless there is breaking news. We will be back next Tuesday morning uh, for a recap of the divisional round and more Giants news and off-season stuff. So we will have our off-season coverage begin, sort of, as we continue to cover the playoffs. And then we'll go into full swing after the Super Bowl. And I would say even the week before the Super Bowl. And I'm looking forward to this off-season. Kind of re- 
review and preview because this is an interesting team right now where I don't think some people may have gloom and doom about this team, but I, I don't. And I think it's going to be really fascinating for us to go through our assessment of the different positions and position groups like we do and kind of identify what we need and everything. So I'm really looking forward to this offseason to really start digging deep. Um, so I don't think it's the end of the world for this team. I, I really don't. No, I actually think that it presents some interesting opportunities for them, so I'm looking forward to it as well. So be sure to come back here on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course YouTube for continuing coverage of the Giants throughout this offseason and heading into the 2024 season. And uh, we will see you next time. Until then, go Giants. Go Giants.